0: Chapter 8 The Adventurer. Hermione fastened the top buttons of her cloak and kept her hood carefully drawn as she turned a corner, her face hidden beneath the shadows. There was still the barest hint of daylight, but already Nocturnaly was beginning to take on the ominous characteristics that came with such places at night. Hermione was unafraid. She blended in seamlessly with the other witches, wizards, and questionable beings that stalked slowly through the streets, all with their cloaks concealing their features as well. She made eye contact with no one, and did not notice anyone turning their heads to spare her a second glance. Hermione passed a few shops that she recalled from before, such as Ye Olde Curiosity Shop, and a pub called The White Wyvern, and a few she did not. One of these was a store that must have been shut down at some point. Talons and Fangs, a shop that sold what looked to be dangerous and probably illegal creatures. A few moments later, and Hermione hovered outside of the entrance to Borgin and Burke's. It looked much as it had the day she'd gone in as a teenager, leaving Harry and Ron outside under the cloak. She glanced to the side, remembering it all so perfectly, how the three of them had stood right there, how she and Ron had bickered right there, Harry rolling his eyes at their squabbling. Hermione drew in a deep breath and banished such recollections from her mind. That was a different life. She was someone else now, and her current mission was far more perilous. She exhaled slowly, checking that her mind was clear and her undetectable occlumency barriers intact and in place, just as they always were. Hermione Smith entered the shop and left Hermione Granger out in the cold, January air outside. It was a large and dimly lit store, full of glass cases and wooden shelves holding everything from shiny antiques to what appeared to be human bones. Rusty, spiked instruments hung from the ceiling, and sinister-looking masks stared down at her with empty eye-sockets from the walls. Masks which looked suspiciously like the ones that would later cover the faces of Death Eaters, Hermione realized with a cold wave of clarity. Or were they already? It was possible, Hermione mused, but she did not think it likely. Just because Tom Riddle had begun using a contrived title for himself while he was a student did not mean he had started branding his followers and calling them Death Eaters yet. The dark mark was a very complex bit of magic, a dark curse that she doubted he would have been foolish enough to focus on developing while in school not with Albus Dumbledore around. She theorized that he was working on it now, that in the years after his graduation, while pretending to be a mere shop boy, Tom Riddle had two true points of focus. Collecting artifacts connected to the four founders of Hogwarts, thus completing his goal of seven vessels for his soul, and learning as much as possible about the dark arts so that he could create a permanent, binding mark to unite his followers. What better place to find such items and learn about the dark arts than in a shop which specialized in exactly that? A bell chimed softly behind her when the door closed, and Hermione spotted two men at the front of the store, one behind the counter, whom she presumed was a young Mr. Burke, and an unfamiliar wizard on the other side, who must have been a customer. The two were speaking in low voices when Hermione entered, but Mr. Burke fell silent as she drew nearer. Hermione kept her composure, quickly looking away from the shop owner and his current client. Tom Riddle was nowhere to be seen. Hermione internally swore. Was he not working this evening? Or was he out somewhere, doing Mr. Borgin or Mr. Burke's bidding and procuring items from some other poor person? Well, I'm in it now, she thought, realizing that to turn around and leave so soon could be disastrous for her plans. She began idly examining the items on the shelves, like perusing dark artifacts in dodgy shops, was the sort of thing she did all the time. Mr. Burke cleared his throat. Can I help you? he called. And only then did Hermione make eye contact with him. Just looking, thank you, she answered, lofty and unsmiling. She turned her attention almost at once back to the object nearest to her, a silver ornate hand mirror. She picked it up with one hand and slowly pulled her hood down with the other. Revealing for the first time her perfectly straight, smooth tresses and the kind of face that Mr. Burke rarely saw in his clientele, Hermione was certain. Her clothes, her jewelry, her hair, her haughty demeanor and pretty face, Hermione knew she looked like the sort of young witch who had money. No respectable store owner would be stupid enough to let someone so potentially loaded and, with any luck, naive, wander about their shop without someone dogging them making sure their every whim was catered to until they were parted with a significant amount of gold. Hermione was not disappointed. She heard Mr. Burke mutter a quick excuse me to the wizard he'd been speaking with and quickly make his way over to her. An excellent choice, ma'am, he said, and his tone could not have been more different from the one Mr. Borgen had used with her years ago. Mr. Burke was not suspicious nor rude, but the epitome of courteous. He had thick brows, dark hair, and a smile plastered on his face that looked well-rehearsed as he nodded towards the silver mirror. If you feel you have the need for protection, of course, this mirror is made of faux glass, allows you to see your enemies in the reflected surface, should you find they are getting too close. They first appear as dark shapes behind you when physically near, but you only truly must worry when the whites of their eyes become visible—that's when they're aware. Hermione's blood ran cold. She watched with trepidation as a shadowy figure formed itself on the surface of the silver, close, but with an obscured, featureless face. He was here. Tom Riddle was here, somewhere, just not in this room, not directly behind her, not aware. Hermione hurriedly set the mirror down. She was unsure if Mr. Burke had seen the same entity in the silver that she had, or if only the holder could see their own enemies in the shadows. His brows were furrowed and his expression curious, making her fear the former. Interesting, but not the sort of thing I'm looking for, she said, forcing herself to remain calm. If he had seen that Hermione had an enemy floating in the outskirts of her reflection, Mr. Burke chose not to comment on it. And what are you looking for, Miss... Smith... Hermione answered. Miss Smith, he inclined his head deferentially. My name is Caractacus Burke. It is a pleasure to make your acquaintance. Hermione allowed him to take hold of her gloved hand, where he held on just a bit too long, his thumb sliding against the silk on her wrist in a way that was too intimate for a normal handshake. May I ask what brings you to my humble shop this evening? I mean no disrespect, but you do not fit my typical clientele. He gave her a wry smile, and the way his eyes darted down her frame made her internally scowl. As it was, she pretended to be used to such shamelessness. No, I suspect I don't, she agreed dryly. I sought your store out, Mr. Burke, because my aunt has spoken very highly of your establishment, says she's acquired some of her most valued possessions here. I'm new to England, and she's been so dear to me, letting me stay with her, showing me around the city, and, well, I wanted to find some way to repay her for her kindness. I thought I might find her a gift of some kind here." Hermione could see the recognition sparking to life in his eyes as he divined who she was most likely talking about. Triumph swelled in her chest, but outwardly she made a show of looking around the store with great judgment. I must admit, by the way she spoke of your shop and the items she supposedly purchased here, I expected something different. Hermione smiled thinly. Mr. Burke swallowed her story whole, a hungry glint in his gaze. Ah, but the objects on display are often far more than what they seem, he said adamantly. And Nocturne Alley may be a questionable place at times, but I assure you, you will find no greater treasures than on this street, in this shop. I'm sure, Hermione said, clearly unconvinced by her tone. She glanced at the wizard still standing by the counter, an older man who looked very annoyed that Mr. Burke had left him to attend to a young witch instead. I would hate to distract you from your business, Mr. Burke. I am just looking, after all. Caractacus was visibly torn. He did not want to abandon his first customer. But he didn't want to let Hermione slip away from the shop without purchasing something, either. She hoped he came to the obvious solution to this problem. Who else would be better to entertain a pretty witch than their very own charismatic shopboy? Of course, he said, inclining his head once more and backing away. If you have any questions at all, Miss Smith, please don't hesitate to ask. Hermione nodded but said nothing. Rather than go straight to his previous client, Mr. Burke made his way to the back of the shop and disappeared behind a door there. Hermione quickly turned and resumed her nonchalant, somewhat bored meandering throughout the store, her mind racing. He was going to get him. Caractacus Burke was probably briefing Tom Riddle right now in the back somewhere, informing him of the obviously wealthy and ignorant witch in their midst one who was related to a previous customer who they must keep in good graces with for the sake of their business. Hermione didn't turn at the sound of the door opening a few moments later, though adrenaline was rushing through her veins. She instead pretended to be intrigued by a tapestry that was draped over a fixture like a coat rack. The fabric was silvery blue and white in color, with a pattern on it, almost like stars. She was just about to reach out and touch it when she remembered herself. She was in a store full of dark artifacts, and just touching things was idiotic. She was lucky the mirror had been something as harmless as glass. It won't hurt you. Hermione's heart leapt in her throat. She hadn't heard him walk up behind her. She hadn't noticed him approach at all, and she had been listening intently, despite feigning disinterest in her surroundings. Hermione very nearly jumped, but managed to retain her calm disposition just barely. She glanced up, and it was like the world came to a brief but irrefutable standstill. Just as no amount of seeing the woman in a memory had prepared Hermione for the hideousness of Merope Gaunt, nothing could have readied her for the reality of Tom Riddle. He was striking in every conceivable way. The Slytherin air had high cheekbones, flawless, pale skin, black hair that fell in pristine waves above his eyes. And those eyes... How would Melissa describe such irises? So dark they bordered on black, tunnels that pulled you in. Those dark tunnels were focused on her now, and they certainly had that effect. Tom Riddle's appearance was of the variety that was thought obliterating. Hermione's mind went blank as she inhaled the scent of that sandalwood cologne, as she stared into a set of eyes that were like two bottomless black holes. That fabric, I mean, he continued, nodding towards the tapestry Hermione had nearly grabbed. His voice was smooth and low, nothing like the high and inhuman pitch Hermione half expected it to be. It won't bite. He smiled, his curling lips revealing a set of white, perfectly even teeth. Hermione's brain lurched back to life, a thousand thoughts crashing into each other in their fight for prominence. She returned her attention to the tapestry, ignoring her thundering heart. What is it then? she asked. Something fascinating. He reached for the fabric, and Hermione's mouth went dry. The ring. The Peveril ring, the resurrection stone. Tom Riddle was wearing it. It was on his left hand, middle finger. His second Horcrux. It vanished. It's a cloak of invisibility, he said, draping what Hermione had thought was some decorative tapestry over his arms. They disappeared beneath the cloth, and he smirked at Hermione's shocked expression, misinterpreting it completely. One of the highest quality guaranteed to last at least a decade. He handed it to her. Hermione refocused and stood a bit straighter. Oh, she said, taking the cloak from him. I've heard of these, but I've never seen one before. Only somewhat of a lie, really. She'd never seen a typical cloak of invisibility. Harry's hadn't had a pattern on it. It had been pure silver and pristine. Because it hadn't been just a cloak. It had been a halo, Just like that ring. Interesting and quite pretty, but not particularly useful, is it? Hermione hung the fabric up again regaining her lofty demeanor. A proper disillusionment charm would be more practical. Riddle inclined his head. I agree, he murmured. Hermione had to crane her neck to look at his face properly. God, he was so tall. She hadn't realized how tall he was in the memories. She raised a single brow at him, channeling her inner Narcissa Malfoy and reminding him of what brand of witch she was supposed to be playing the part of pure-blooded, rich, and entitled. I take it you work here, then? And Mr. Burke sent you to help me find something to my liking? I am but a humble servant, and Mr. Burke does hate to leave anyone in his shop without the attention they deserve. Riddle's eyes gleamed as he extended his hand. Tom Riddle, he said, the words rolling off his tongue quite sinuously for someone who supposedly hated his name so much. Hermione thought to give her first name as well, but she stopped herself at the last moment. Miss Smith, she offered instead. Unlike Mr. Burke, Tom Riddle's handshake was careful, gentle, and nothing short of courteous. He caught her staring at his left hand. I like your ring, she said, deciding that transparency was less suspicious than poorly masked disinterest. I like yours, he responded, eyes glancing toward her diamond-encrusted ring. Hermione's heart skipped a beat. She forced a grin, quickly convincing herself that she must be imagining the playful gleam in his eyes. He couldn't possibly know that it was enchanted just by looking at it, could he? Oh, thank you. A relatively recent acquisition, she said, holding her hand up and pretending only to be flattered, not unnerved. But yours, yours is obviously old, vintage. You can tell that it's unique, truly one of a kind." Such things are rare. Wherever did you get it? Rather than act complimented, Riddle lowered his hand, clearly not wanting to discuss just how rare a treasure it was. I inherited it, I'm afraid, he lied effortlessly. It used to belong to my grandfather before he passed away. Well, not a complete lie, Hermione supposed. That's lovely, she said. You're lucky to have something precious to remember him by. Family is so important. Yes, Riddle responded after a pause. He spoke again before Hermione could, carefully shifting the focus away from himself and onto her. Mr. Burke has informed me that you are new to England, he said. May I ask where you're from? America, originally, but I've been traveling quite a bit over the past few years. I finally came to stay with my aunt here in London a few weeks ago. America? Riddle looked honestly curious. You grew up in the United States? New York City, born and raised, she replied, looking away from him when she spoke and taking interest in a medium-sized wooden box on a shelf, one with markings carved on its surface. And yet you have no accent whatsoever, as far as I can tell. Hermione glanced at him and grinned, prepared for this. I can't tell you how happy it makes me to hear you say that. She gushed as though, making a great confession. My mother was from London, and I was very close to her. I thought her English accent made her sound so sophisticated, as did everyone else, truthfully. I emulated everything about her, especially the way she spoke. I even called her mum rather than mom. Hermione turned her attention back to the wooden box, eyes narrowing as she examined the markings there. Those are ancient runes carved into the surface, Riddle explained. They mean, beware, and something about greed and the lunar cycle. Riddle's eyes widened a fraction when Hermione lifted the box and began turning it, investigating it in earnest as she attempted to translate from the crudely drawn markings. She pursed her lips as she looked from one side to the other, thinking. Ancient runes were always at least somewhat difficult to decipher, It wasn't like reading a sentence one word at a time. One needed the whole picture before the message was clear. It can only be opened safely on the full moon, she said slowly, though that didn't explain the last symbols, nor a few on the first side. Just when Riddle opened his mouth to speak, she figured it out. Oh, unless it's opened by someone who only wants to place something in the box, but not take something out. She looked up at Riddle, her cheerful expression at having solved a puzzle quickly turning into one of apprehension. "'And what happens if someone with the intent of removing whatever's inside opens it on the wrong day?' she asked. Riddle's face became blank. He was no longer smiling like the charismatic shop boy he was supposed to be emulating, but staring at Hermione with a thoughtful look in his eyes. "'We do not know,' he said slowly. His lips slowly curled, bemused, and it was far darker than his previous smile. Buyer beware. Hermione set it down and shrugged like she was unimpressed. She began walking down the aisle, looking around at a few other items on the shelves. She could feel Burke's eyes following her as she moved, distracted once more from his own customer. I take it you've studied ancient runes extensively then, Riddle said, staying close to her. Yes, I took it for years at Ilvermorny, one of my favorite subjects. What's this? She pointed towards a polished golden sphere on a stand. An entrancing orb, he answered. Stare at it for too long, and the only way you can look away again is if someone calls your name. Hermione looked away so quickly that Riddle laughed. What a predicament she would be in if she needed to confess her true name just to be able to leave the damn shop. Another cursed object, she muttered. I'm beginning to sense a pattern here. It's no wonder Mr. Burke asked you to attend to me. Clearly just looking in this store is a safety hazard. Riddle laughed again, a soft and charming sound. This is not the type of shop where people come to peruse the shelves casually, he said. Our typical clients come with a specific object in mind, or more often than not, to sell. Well, I'm not a typical client, "'Hermione said curtly. "'No,' Riddle agreed, his voice lowering. "'That much is perfectly obvious.' "'There was a beat of silence. "'Hermione looked up into his eyes "'and could see nothing there at all. "'You said you attended Overmorny,' he continued after a moment, "'his voice politely interested once more. "'I'll admit that I know very little about that school. "'Did you enjoy it there?' "'Oh, yes,' Hermione said wistfully.' Very much. It's the very best wizarding school in the world. Riddle's eyes narrowed slightly. I would venture to say that is a matter of opinion, Miss Smith. Hermione laughed. Of course. I expect that you're going to tell me that, what is it, Hogwarts is the best? She didn't wait for him to answer. Yes, my mother went there. She's told me all about it. How do you sit on a stool and have a ragged old hat tell you what house you should be in? Forgive me, Mr. Riddle, that sounds a bit crass. She turned and let her focus drift to a set of silver instruments which reminded her of dental tools. Enchanted utensils for the purpose of extracting extremely lethal venom from the bodies of magical creatures, he explained quickly. Beautiful and nearly indestructible tools, but unless you intend to harvest something like basilisk venom, There's hardly any use for them. Perhaps I intend to harvest some basilisk venom in the near future, Hermione murmured. She picked one up, a small, thin knife, and twirled it in her fingers. She briefly entertained the notion that maybe she should buy something today after all. Then you best purchase a blindfold as well. Riddle's expression was perfectly composed. Hermione smirked. Or a rooster whose vocal cords are enchanted with an amplifying charm, she said placing the silver instrument back in its place. Riddle chose not to respond to that. Instead, he once more shifted the topic back to Hermione. How do they sort in Ilvermorny, then? he asked, if you find the idea of the sorting hat so crass. It's much more interesting, Hermione gushed. At Ilvermorny, you stand in the center of the Gordian knot on the floor of the entrance hall. There are four statues there, symbolizing the four houses, and they react if they want you. The crystal on the horned serpent's forehead will glow, the wampus will roar, the pugwaji will raise its arrow, and the thunderbird will beat its wings. Which one wanted you? Hermione paused, turning to face Riddle with a slightly disdainful expression on her face. Nosy, aren't you, for a shop boy? There was the slightest tensing of his jaw before Riddle inclined his head again slipping back into the role of subservient, innocent employee. My sincerest apologies, he murmured, eyes downcast. He acted so convincingly humbled that Hermione would have believed his charade without question had she not known better. But she did. It's quite all right, she carried on, acting unaffected. Ilvermorny is fascinating. As it happens, I was a rarity. More than one house wanted me, Three, in fact, all but the Pugwaji. I suppose my heart wasn't pure enough for that little creature to be interested. Ever heard of one before? They're a bit like house elves, pugwajis. Anyway, Hermione waved her hand flippantly, as though she were dismissing the importance of such creatures. The other three houses were all interested in me, and so I was able to choose. No hat whispering in my ear, telling me where I might fit in best. It was my decision in the end. Hermione looked down and checked her watch. Oh, look at the time, it's nearly six. She frowned and glanced toward the door. I'm afraid I must go soon, I have dinner plans. If you give me some idea of what kind of object you're looking for, I could help you find something suitable, Riddle offered. Hermione noticed Mr. Burke perking up from the other side of the store. His customer was now gone, and she was certain he was listening with rapt attention. Well, I was hoping to find something to use as a centerpiece for my aunt's new dining room table. It's just such a large, empty space, completely gone to waste. But I don't see anything here even remotely close to what I had in mind. I was hoping for something beautiful, not deadly. She sighed. I confess myself disappointed. Riddle's expression was unreadable. We do acquire new objects on a regular basis, he said. Perhaps we shall have something more to your liking soon. Hermione smiled but promised nothing. I must be going, she said instead. Here. Riddle procured a piece of parchment out of thin air. If Hermione weren't so determined not to be impressed by him, she might have reacted to such wordless, oneless magic. My card, just in case. He pressed it into her palm. And were she any other witch in the world, Hermione probably would have melted under his dazzling grin. He had abandoned being professional in favor of being flirtatious. But Hermione knew it was hollow, and neither tactic would work on her. In case I decide I would like tools to obtain basilisk venom or buy a mysterious curse box? She asked dryly, pulling her hand away and not taking the card. His eyes widened fractionally in surprise. Hermione doubted that Tom Riddle had ever been rejected in any manner, man or woman, professionally or flirtatiously. If I decide I require something like that, then I know where to find you, don't I? She smiled and took a step backwards. It was a pleasure meeting you, Mr. Riddle, she said, turning away from him and facing the door. She had just reached for the handle when he spoke again. Which did you choose? Hermione's lips twitched. She turned and looked over her shoulder. Riddle was standing there with his card still in his hand, his face an impenetrable mask of no discernible emotion. If three houses wanted you and the decision was yours, which one did you end up choosing, Miss Smith? There was something different about his tone. He had completely dropped any facade and was now asking from some place of interest that had nothing to do with his job. He was intrigued. Tom Riddle wanted to know this for himself. If you must know, Mr. Riddle, she said at length, I chose not the house which favors warriors and represents the body, nor the one which favors scholars and prizes the mind, but the house representative of that which is most powerful, yet least understood. She smiled when Riddle's head tilted to one side, waiting for an explanation. I'm speaking, of course, of the soul. Hermione hardly needed legitimacy to see the intrigue flickering in those dark, tunnel-like eyes. Her smile widened. I fancy myself an adventurer. She bowed her head slightly in farewell before pulling her hood up over her face, concealing her features and shadows once more. Have a pleasant evening, Mr. Riddle, she said quietly. She did not wait for a response. Hermione left, the bell chimed behind her, but she was already halfway down the street when she heard its peal. It was fully dark now, and at some point during her short time in the shop it had begun to snow. Snowflakes landed softly on her shoulders as she went. Hermione felt almost as though she were floating. She was so giddy with success and relief. All things considered, that exchange had gone better than she expected. With the exception of that initial hiccup in the beginning— She really hadn't expected him to be wearing the ring still. She had accomplished all that she had set out to do. If she had played her part well enough, she would be seeing Mr. Riddle again very soon. Though that was now up to Mr. Burke. Hermione hoped he would act the way she anticipated he would. He was a greedy man, predictably so. She had no reason to think that he would not. Her plan was officially in motion. Hermione would rather scatter intriguing words behind her like alluring morsels, leading Tom Riddle further and further along her deceitful path until he was so distracted that he tripped. And when he did, Hermione would make sure that he never got up.